0: There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Those, <clears throat> those of you watching the recording, we just prayed and now we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is our third study on 1 Corinthians. And uh, so we left off right around verse 10, pick it up in verse 9. It says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. I love that verse because it's so open-ended and so infinite. Um, it's saying that we can't even conceive of how great the things God has for us are. And so that's encouraging to me. God's wisdom is known. That's the context of what's going on in this passage. God's wisdom can only be known by like. What do you mean like? I mean, like understands like. Um, Albert Einstein, one of the smartest men to ever live. If he had a dog, that dog would be very close to him, maybe closer than anybody else. A dog could never understand what he understood about space, physics, uh, everything he understood, because it's a different sort of a mind. Uh, And so that's the context here that we're uh, looking at in 1 Corinthians 2. So I know that you're awake. Say, amen. Amen. Almost forgot. Okay, verse 10. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So verse 9 is not saying that we can't know what God has prepared for us. We can certainly get some idea by His Spirit, to the extent that we, number one, submit to the Spirit, and number two, are in the Word and letting the Spirit speak to us through the Word. It's not osmosis. In other words, someone doesn't receive Christ, and then the Holy Spirit just starts revealing things, and they don't even need the Bible. The Holy Spirit's just bubbling up information. It might happen, but it's certainly not likely. What is likely is we study His Word. We pray. We are in groups like this, and go to church, and fellowship, and learn, and study, and by doing so, grow. Before the life and ministry of Jesus on the earth about 2,000 years ago, the Old Testament, the Jews had a vague idea about the Holy Spirit. If you do a word study on Yahweh, or God, or the word Lord in the Old Testament, it's everywhere. If you do a word study on the Anointed One, or the Messiah, it's there as well but the holy spirit is kind of a mysterious figure in the old testament he's definitely there it tends to be more the spirit of the lord came upon jeremiah and he spoke he prophesied or ezekiel or one of the prophets Um, i'm not saying that the old testament jews didn't have the holy spirit um, but not in the full orbed sense that we do the reason for that is that the holy spirit is god and god his spirit cannot dwell in us permanently as he does with Christians until the sin thing is dealt with. And so uh, the Old Testament, it's very vague Through through a glass dimly, it says in one place in the New Testament. So the whole idea of the Holy Spirit being inside of every believer, the Holy Spirit involved in the future and salvation and in the scriptures, the New Testament. It's very vague in the Old Testament. In the New, we learn so much more about the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes away and sends the Holy Spirit, John 14, uh, that all believers have. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and truly saved, categorically you can say, Romans and 1 Corinthians both say, you have the Holy Spirit. Um, The reason there's differing maturity levels is because to the extent that we submit or resist the Holy Spirit, to the extent that Jeff's studying his Bible every day, I'm only studying 20 minutes once a week, there's going to be a difference in maturity. Um, In any case, so we said last week, I gave you that little analogy about a radio. And the fact that in this room right now, there's Spanish music playing and rock music playing and country music and Christian radio and talk radio, and none of you can hear it because nobody's got a radio. But if we had a radio, we could tune in anything we wanted. I don't mean to make the Holy Spirit impersonal because he's not. It's always the male pronoun he in the Bible when it speaks of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is inside of each one of us, and because of that, we are alive spiritually, and the gospel is understandable to us. That's the point that he's making here. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. What's implicit in the, or implied in that verse is, you did not understand the gospel because you're so smart or so spiritual, and neither did I. It was the Holy Spirit. Can I see a show of hands those of you that are here? Um, How many of you read the Bible before you were a Christian? Anybody? Okay, some of you. And did it make no sense like it did to me or very, very little? It made very little sense to me. Um, So these things are revealed by a spirit. I just realized that I didn't say to the people on Zoom, welcome and say amen or hold up an amen sign. Oh, I see you guys in Vanuatu and I see your amen. Wonderful. Okay, so he's revealed these things, meaning the gospel, The deity of the lord jesus salvation forgiveness all of it grace by his spirit and then it says at the end of verse 10 the spirit searches all things even the deep things of god that's an exclusive statement it's true that jesus would know the deep things of god especially in his ascended uh, glorified state but what he's really saying there is only the holy spirit to the exclusion of all human beings apart from the Holy Spirit, to the exclusion even of angels. There's a verse in, I think it's 1 Peter, that says angels long to look into this whole salvation thing with people. They're fascinated by it. They are spirit beings, but they're not the Holy Spirit. Um, Let's see. So, the Spirit searches all things. That verse has the idea of um, understands and knows all things. So, without the proper reception equipment, you can't hear a thing. The reason is Ephesians 2, we said last week, unbelievers are, Paul says about Christians, before you were Christians, you were, do you remember, dead in your trespasses and sins. The common belief is that we were sick or somehow less spiritually. You hear people that aren't believers say, oh, I'm a very spiritual person. We're going to get into that tonight, and we'll find out whether that's true or not. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for you. Verse 11, for who knows, he's, he's expounding on this whole idea that the things of God are revealed by his spirit. For, verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? God's spirit would know God's thoughts, God's plans, and be able to reveal them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God um, There's a verse in Isaiah. In fact, let's turn there real fast. I wasn't going to do this, but I think I am. So about the middle of your Bible, pick a spot, you'll either come to Psalms or Isaiah, and I, Isaiah's after psalms, and we want Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and I hope that's the right reference. Let's see verse 11. Yeah, verses eight and nine. God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Now, that would be enough. God's saying, I think totally differently than human beings do, naturally. But look how he wants to show you how high above your thoughts his are. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Pretty amazing verse. So the fact that human beings can hear and understand the thoughts of God is an astounding thing. And again, I say it's not because we're so spiritual or smart, it's because we have the equipment, we have the Holy Spirit, the person living inside of us who illuminates the word of God, who is a louder conscience to us when doing wrong and what have you. So that's uh, that's the whole idea of like is known by like alone. Only the Holy Spirit of God could know the thoughts of God we would never know them unless he revealed them. And the gospel is much deeper than you and I can even imagine. Look at verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. There is a spirit of the world. You mean like a a real spirit? No. I mean, there's just a sort of a way that the world handles things. The Germans had a term for it, uh, zeitgeist, which is the spirit of the age or the spirit of the times. And that changes with history, doesn't it? What is acceptable behavior now for a woman to claim she's a man or a man to claim he's a woman and go into the opposite gender's locker room is kind of we all just kind of go, yeah, that's happening now. 50 years ago, 35 or 40 years ago, people would have been astounded. A thousand years ago, it would have been unthinkable. The spirit of the age, things kind of change. One one complaint people have about the Bible is, you know, it was written 2,000 years ago. It really needs to be updated. God is so out of it, so out of date. You think? I don't think so. I change not, says God, right? (laughs) So there's a spirit of the world. Look at verse 12 again. What we have received is not the spirit of the world. We used to have that, right? Just do the best you can. God will understand. If your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you'll probably go to heaven. That's the spirit of the age, right? Uh, The one that drives me crazy, I'll just tell you, is this one. Well, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. That is so dumb to me you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong, right? I always give you the analogy that if you wake up in the middle of the night and stumble to the to the little drawer where you keep medicines and other things, and you're reaching around in the dark, and with a bad headache, you think you grabbed Tylenol, and you open it up, and you think, it's really bad. I'm going to take three, and you take it, and it's actually gopher poison. It doesn't matter that you're sincere that it's Tylenol. You're gonna be sick or die, right? Sincerity is great, but it's not what gets you there. We don't have the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit. This is an astounding thing. God's spirit dwells inside of you. Result you can speak to God no matter where you are. You don't have to be in church, you don't have to be at Bible study. Anywhere you go, God is with you. It's an an amazing thing. let's see, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That verse says that what he's freely given us, the gospel, the word of God, the Bible, can be understood. I'm not saying there aren't portions of scripture that you or I might have trouble. What, does that mean this or this kind of thing? That's reason for more diving in, right, and study and uh, research, if you will. Okay, so This is how we get the gospel, how we understand it. He's leading up to a point. We'll get to it. Verse 13, but God's freely given it to us because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The prerequisite for receiving the Holy Spirit is receiving the Lord Jesus, saying to God, I realize I'm a sinner. I have no hope of saving myself. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, lived the perfect sinless life I was supposed to live and didn't and died the horrible death that I deserve, and now paid for my sins, and in faith, I believe that. I believe you rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, and because of that, I want Jesus Christ, listen, to be not just my Savior, save me from drowning in Bass Lake, drag me to the edge, see you later, that's Savior, right? You could never see the person again. Well, he saved me, that guy, Harry, I don't even know his last name, as opposed to Savior and Lord. Lord means boss, master. Lord says, A, I want B, I choose A, right? Lord says, This is a sin. I'm not sure it doesn't feel that much of a sin to me. It's a sin. I'm agreeing with the Lord, my boss, my master. So once we did that, we got the Holy Spirit. He freely gave it to us. That's the reason. End of verse 12. Look at verse 13. This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom but in words taught by the holy spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words the way the gospel is printed out on the page i'm reading the word words is right above the word words twice in that verse did you notice words i want to talk a little for uh, for a second about the bible he's saying this is what we speak At that time, the Bible is still being written. Some of the books have been written by the time 1 Corinthians is being written, but most had not, okay? So it's, to a great extent, orally transmitted. Paul's writing letters, they're being copied, copied, and sent to all the different cities, and people would run into each other and say, I've gotten Paul's letter to the Colossian church, and they'd say, oh, I have the Thessalonian one. Do you want to, let's copy them both and trade, and, you know, it was being transmitted orally he's when he's saying this is what we speak he means the apostles including himself he's speaking the gospel the words about jesus christ he's also eventually peter peter him james uh matthew mark luke mark the writers of the new, uh, of john sorry the writers of the new testament are writing the words directly given by the holy spirit it's a paradox if you will many things about Christianity are paradoxes. What's a paradox? An apparent contradiction where two things appear like they can't be both true and they are. Let me give you an example. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Well, which is it? Both. Two natures. To his deity, he added a human nature. The word of God. Who wrote Elijah? Who wrote Isaiah? Who wrote um, the gospel of John? John wrote John, Elijah wrote his book, and yet the Holy Spirit wrote every single word. That's what I want to get to. The Holy Spirit wrote every single word using the writing style of the writer, because John writes very differently from Peter, who writes very differently from Paul or Jeremiah. Go back to verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit explaining spiritual realities, notice, with spirit-taught words. I'm going to make the case that the words matter, and then when we are translating the Bible, we need to be pretty careful about that. There are gender-neutral Bibles now. There are all-feminine Bibles, where God is referred to as, she created the heavens and the earth, and I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. Don't mess with my word. If you don't believe me, read the last three or four verses of Revelation. Do you remember? If anybody adds to this book, and he means Revelation, but he means the whole book. There's a reason that comes right at the end of the whole book of the Bible. Don't mess with it. Okay. Not in words taught by human wisdom. What's going on there? Human wisdom, the philosophers wanted to be able to um, to explain and understand and then believe the gospel based on uh, logic, reason, philosophy, you know, all those sorts of things, even evidence, okay? And there's a lot of evidence for the Bible, but Jesus is not someone that you can do research on and study apart from the Holy Spirit and believe and understand. has to be by his Spirit. So that's what he's saying in verse 13, What they're teaching is right out, right from the Holy Spirit, spiritual realities. Think of spiritual realities as being a different dimension. Um, How many know who Hugh Ross is? You ever heard that name, Dr. Hugh Ross? Brilliant guy. He spoke at Mountain Christian maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Brilliant guy. I don't agree with him on creation. He's an old earth guy. The earth is millions, billions of years old. Personally, I think the earth was created in six days, God rested on the seventh. That's what the scripture says. Well, that word might not mean, here you go with the words again, right? Anyway, but he's a Christian. He's a brilliant guy. He came up with the idea of the dimensional worlds. Okay. I'm going to bend your minds a little. Go with me on this. Imagine we live in three dimensions, don't we? Length of this room has length. It has width, but also height. You with me? Imagine a two-dimensional word, world, which is just length and width. So do you know what it is? It's a plane. Picture it as the top of a desk. There is no up. There is no down. It's just left, right, forward, behind. You got it? It's flat. So everybody on the earth, in that world would be flat, right? So in flat world, two-dimensional world, if I run into Jeff and Doreen's standing behind him, I can't see her, because it's flat world, I can't look over or under, right? Okay, in flat world, they are wondering about God. Flat world is two dimensions, just go with me on this, God is in three dimensions. So if I was God, and this is flat world here, the flat part of a desk, I could put my face right on top of just about Jeff and Doreen. And they would have no idea because there is no up, right? That's sort of like now go one more dimension. Now we're in three. People say the fourth dimension is how many know time. God is in dimensions far above us. That's why I believe just like in two dimensional world, It's flat world. God could be right there and they wouldn't know it. That's why Jesus can say the kingdom of God is here. It's among you. Not only because he's there, but God is not far from any one of us. Do you remember that scripture? Um, Okay, I've lost most of you and most of you are asleep. Let's keep rolling. Uh, Not in words with human wisdom, words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities. The fact that God is above us, his thoughts are not our thoughts the whole idea of the gospel, verse 14, the the person without the spirit, by definition, what is that? An unbeliever, right? It's me before I became a believer. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. They're spiritually discerned, one translation has. Okay, now we're back to the radio again. Remember? They cannot understand it. I'm not saying they can't grasp the idea that, don't you understand? Jesus was a human being, but also God. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He paid for our sins. They can cognitively understand the words. It's not like you're speaking Swahili and they go, no comprendo kind of thing. That's Spanish for I don't understand. Instead, they understand they, it just seems dumb to them. Just seems like foolishness. You believe in an unemployed carpenter from 2000 years ago that you've never seen or met who died on some cross, a criminal, and bled out, and then rose, you say, rose from the dead, and you believe that's going to affect your life today in the year 2000? And the answer is totally right? A hundred percent. I do. That's a Holy Spirit thing. Um, so the person without the Spirit, an unbeliever, doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, meaning the gospel, the identity of Jesus, the word of God, the Bible, doesn't accept it. Lesson for you and me. If you're witnessing to someone, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're not a believer, please don't expect them to just hear it and go, oh i believe if they do praise god because you know what that means the holy spirit's been dragging that guy and convicting that guy of sin a gal and dragging her toward himself and they've been resisting but at that moment when you witness to them if they say they start crying and say i believe i want to receive jesus you're gonna think i am so good at this witnessing thing (laughs) and god's going Right? You're not, and neither am I. You could witness, I've witnessed to people so clearly and eloquently and had them go, eh. My friend Roger Cloud, he used to be in my band. He lives in Alabama. He's a smart guy, he's a former attorney. We talk and talk and talk, and I answer his questions, and eh. I can't be surprised at that. I have to understand he doesn't have the Spirit of God. So you just don't witness to anybody. No pray, I'm going to witness to Boyce tomorrow. Please, Father, open his heart. Draw him to your son, Jesus. And, sorry, it's, yeah, really, it's bad to sit in the, in the front rows. Okay, just kidding. Boyce is a Christian. I just want to make that clear. Um, So they don't understand it, but we pray. They think it's foolishness. They cannot understand them because they're only discerned through the Spirit. That unbeliever doesn't have the radio, the Holy Spirit living inside of him. What makes perfect sense to you and I, they just say, eh. pretty amazing thing. Um, let's see. We're getting into a discussion here about two categories, but I want to warn you, there are three. The two main ones are in this chapter. There's a third one coming. The two categories of human beings are The natural man and the spiritual man. Okay? The spiritual man has the Holy Spirit. By definition, the the spiritual person is saved. He's a Christian. The natural man is the way human beings are ever since Adam and Eve without the Holy Spirit. Got the picture? They're unsaved. The natural man, some of them can be totally nice people who do nice things, they just don't do them for the glory of God. They don't have to all be murderers or thieves or anything. Um, So let's see, did we finish verse 14? They can't understand them. They'll only discern through the Spirit. That's why we need to pray when we're going in to witness to somebody. Pray when we're about to do a sermon. Pray when we're doing a Bible study. I'm confident out of this many people and another, you know, there's 39 screens, so that's about 50 or 60 people on Zoom. I'm confident there's somebody watching or listening that's not a believer. So I pray on the way in the car with my eyes closed while I'm driving. No, just kidding. But I do pray, open the eyes of everyone and ears of people, draw them closer. Most of you are saved. I Maybe all of you are, who knows? Some of you are wondering about me. All right. The person, verse 15, only discern through the spirit. The person, verse 15, with the spirit, Christian, the spiritual man versus the natural man, verse 14, the Person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And then it goes on. Let's stop right there. It's a weird verse, isn't it? Um, so it's not saying that they are above judgment from anybody or correction. You can't come to me and say, Joe, I know you you have a drinking problem, and I say, hey, you can't judge me. I'm a believer. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that a Christian uh, cannot be judged in spiritual matters by an unbeliever because they don't understand. They don't know they're in darkness. That's part of the sermon on Sunday. I'm getting the two mixed up a little, Um, by the way, I I mentioned it last week, uh, but I mentioned his name, but not this quote. Carl Sagan had a show called cosmos. Brilliant guy. He's dead now. Um, he used to say, at the beginning of the show or the end, I can't remember, the cosmos, meaning the universe, the physical, natural world, okay, is all there ever was and all that there ever will be. In other words, there's no spiritual hocus pocus. There's no afterlife. When you die, it's your life is over. That's the end. It's not a comma. It's a period. Um, there's a brilliant guy didn't have the Holy Spirit, couldn't understand the spiritual things. So a spiritual man is not above criticism, but he's not judgeable by the natural man on spiritual things. Um, Look at verse 16 with with me, if you will. Um, For, and now he's going to give an analogy, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? it's a rhetorical question. Who has known the mind of God to the point that they, the person, can teach God? It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? The obvious answer is nobody, right? But we have, the end of verse 16 says, the mind of Christ. So um, this is an interesting verse because it comes from Isaiah 40, verse 13. You say, what's interesting about that? In that verse, Um, it says that we have the mind of Yahweh, God the Father. He's saying Paul changed the words? I am. I'm saying he's equating the mind of Christ with the mind of God the Father. They they have the same mind. They don't disagree on anything. Um, The same mind. So this is an astounding thing. And by the way, you've seen, haven't you, in these verses, the Trinity. God the Father, a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, and here it is, we have the mind of Christ. You say, then why am I so confused? Why, am I, why do I worry? Because we still also have the old mind, the old me, the old unsaved guy is still in there. Sin nature, Christians call it, right? And so there is in Christianity a constant battle for control right? Because the old me wants to do some of the old stuff that I used to do, that I thought was fun. But the new me, led by the Spirit, knows that was all a big waste of time, and was sinful, and was displeasing to God, and I don't want to do it. But Satan has been at his craft for thousands of years. He knows that what would tempt Chris here would not tempt me, and what would tempt me might not tempt Debbie, or somebody else, and we have to the more we're focused on the Lord Jesus, on his word in prayer, the less the temptations come to be a thing for us. It's an astounding thing that we have, verse 16, the mind of Christ. Um, So we can see things now because of the Holy Spirit from his point of view, his values, his desires. We can using because of the Holy Spirit, think God's thoughts, so to speak. That's why the Bible makes sense to you now, and it didn't before. There's the natural, unsaved, and the spiritual, the saved human being. You with me so far? Okay. Now, just to confuse you even more, Paul's going to add a third category here. You say, what else could there be? You're either saved or you're not. You're either natural or you're in the spiritual realm. We're about to see. Chapter three. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good. You guys on Zoom, you doing all right? Beautiful. Someone said they couldn't hear me, but um, everybody else seems to be hearing me, so check your volume or something. Chapter three. Here comes the third category. I want you to tell me who is this person? Okay. Okay. And there's a some debate about this, I'll tell you first of all, but the majority of the Christian scholars I read agree with the position I'm about to tell you. I will give you the other position as well. Verse one. Brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Brothers and sisters, meaning what? Siblings? No, no. Christians, right? That's how we address each other. He's my brother. She, she's my sister. He's talking to the Christians and in the Corinthian church. Read carefully, verse one. Brothers and sisters. I could not address you. He's talking about before as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still fleshly or worldly, mere babies, infants, babes in Christ. There's the third category. Um, I and we'll talk about it in a second. I want to read verse two and then we'll dive in. I gave you milk, not solid food. Verse two says, "For you were not ready for it. Indeed." you're still not ready for it. That's a shame. The third category is, remember, what's the two categories again? Natural, unsaved human being. Fully alive physically, not alive spiritually, does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of him. Doesn't hear the spiritual stuff, doesn't understand it. It's kind of boring to him. The spiritual, the saved human being, has the Holy Spirit. It makes perfect sense to them. They are born again. Third category the immature, stunted growth, malnourished, we'll talk about that. Christian, the carnal Christian. If you know anything about Latin, carne means, in fact, in Spanish, carne means meat or flesh. Okay. This is a person that is uh, a Christian but they are not maturing, okay? The analogy that I give, I'm going to do this on Sunday and you're going to be sick of it by then, is look at this cute little baby. Diapers, got a little bottle here and nine pounds, four ounces, yeah. And you say, how old is the child? And I say, 15 years old. You mean months? No, 15 years old. What are you thinking? Something's wrong. Something's real. Are you feeding this child? What? 15? Does he speak? Goo goo gaga. That's about it. Something's wrong, right? With birth, this is a, a a law of nature. With birth comes growth. Nothing is born that just kind of stays the same, at least that I know of. So they are Christians, but they're not behaving like spiritual people. They are not studying the word. They are not obeying. They're living with one foot in the world, one foot in the church, thinking I can straddle the fence and do both. Around my non-Christian friends, I can get drunk and look at pornography and steal stuff. And around my Christian friends, I can say, hallelujah, praise God, and act all Christian around them. And I even raise my hands sometimes in service. You can't live in both worlds. They're carnal, Christians. There are those, not many, but there are scholars who debate this and say these guys are not saved. They're still in the world. But I point you to the verse, brothers and sisters, I could not address you. Brothers and sisters, it's a term that we use for Christians, right? As people who, notice the words, live by the Spirit. Doesn't mean they don't have it, they're not living by it. You can submit to the Holy Spirit, or you can resist the Holy Spirit, right? God's telling me, don't go in there. And I'm saying, I'm only going to go for an hour. You wait out here, right? And he rolls his eyes. We can grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin, or we disobey God, or we ignore God's Word. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Second reason why I believe they're Christians, and most scholars do mere infants or babes, notice the last two words, in Christ. In the Bible, in New Testament, there's a lot of times where people are talked spoken of as we, we are now in Christ. It's a term for people that are believers. This is a weird third category. I would venture a guess. We've got some of them watching or listening tonight, trying to live in both Uh, worlds, and it does not work as they probably are already figuring it out. Um, Because of that, these people are very naive and gullible and tend to believe in some preachers preaching stuff outside of the word of God, because they're they're not really being led by the spirit of God. Um, So he says in verse two, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it yet. Indeed, you're still not ready. By the way, time marker, it's been four years since Paul planted this church. That's plenty of time. It's not like they became a Christian last Thursday. What do you expect, Paul? Give them some time. They'll mature. It's been four years at least. These people are still, a lot of them, in this church, worldly. This is the most troubled church in all of all the churches that are written letters to in the New Testament. Um, so, what's he talking about with milk? He's talking. He's comparing um, spiritual truth, the Word of God, the gospel, to human um, food. Okay, what do, what do I give this baby? A steak, t-bone. What's wrong with you? Why can't you eat it? No, of course not. You give a baby milk. It's all they can digest. They don't have teeth, right? They can't digest anything else. And mother's milk is better than regular milk. Amen, ladies? Amen. Okay. (laughs) Painful though, right? Um, So he's saying, I've told them Jesus uh, died on the cross. He rose from the dead. We follow him as Lord, the basics of the gospel, the kind of basics that a three-year-old could kind of nod and understand. He wants to teach them the deeper things of God and that would be comparable to solid food, steak and potatoes and whatever else. They're not ready. It kind of goes right over their heads because they're not submitting to the Holy Spirit. They're not ready for it. This is a third category, the immature fleshly, carnal Christian. They're in Christ, they're brothers and sisters, but their diet is milk. Remember I said about the 15-year-old guy here or gal, they're malnourished, right? They're not getting a proper diet. I love this analogy of the gospel and the Bible being milk or solid food. Why? Why? Because does anybody here say, um, uh, you know, I ate, I think it was June of last year was the last time I ate. What? The reason he's using food as an analogy is it's something that we all can relate to that you pretty much got to do it every day. Yes, you can fast. I get all that. Not for very long, right? You can live quite a while without solid food, but you need nourishment at some point, right? So... I gave you milk, not solid food. You you're still not ready. Verse 3, you are still worldly, fleshly. For since there is... Now here are the symptoms to look for and ask yourself, is this me? You are still... Uh, for, sorry, middle of verse 3. For since there is jealousy and quarreling divisions among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? you say, what's wrong with that? We are a higher creation now. Paul says we're a new creation, right? We're supposed to act like the people God has made us to be. So he says they're still worldly, and the symptoms are the jealousy, the quarreling, the fighting, infighting in the church, the divisions in the church, serious, immature failures kind of thing. The problems are they are not that close and in tune with and in obedience to God. That's a vertical problem. Got it? Me up to God. That is manifesting itself in the fact that they're sinning, the vertical, and then the horizontal relationships with one another is suffering as well, just a symptom of the first one, really, where there's fighting and jealousy and all that kind of thing, divisions in the church. Remember earlier he talked about, and he's going to talk about it again, some in the church, there's divisions in chapter one. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, which is Peter. Oh, I'm just of Jesus. And there's all these little cliques, and we're smarter than you are, and we're more spiritual, and we're supposed to be one. So these people, you might say, like spiritual junk food. Fills you up not really good for you, not nourishing. My mom always made really balanced meals for us, Italian woman, you know, and she had a rule, which was no candy before dinner. And she would say, you'll spoil your appetite. Did you ever hear that? And she was right. You eat three chocolate bars and then you sit down to eat dinner and you're like, I, I, I'll wait on this. Don't spoil your appetite. If you fill yourself up with spiritual junk food, man's wisdom, philosophy, it might fill you up to where you're not that interested in the Word of God. Jesus says in John 16, 12, to the disciples, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They get it later, the gospel and after he leaves with the holy spirit he says i want to teach you the deep things things of god and you're not still ready evidence of that same symptoms do you remember there twice once in luke and once in i can't remember another gospel separate incidents the disciples who are with the lord of the universe jesus they're arguing about do you remember which one of them is the greatest peter james john philip andrew Judas, are you kidding? Did you miss who's over here at the end of the table? It's crazy. Jealousy, all that kind of stuff. divisions. So um, we already talked about that. So uh, we are supposed to, the Bible says, first John talks about this a lot, walk in the spirit meaning day to day step by step moment by moment the consciousness that we are the a human being with the holy spirit living inside of us conscious of god of his will all that stuff day by day moment by moment making decisions but in the in the walking in the spirit as a habit not walking in the flesh worldly and what have you okay back to the text oh we, all, we got a little more and then we'll take a break so Aren't you acting like mere humans? Verse four. Look at uh, verse three. Look at verse four. When one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos," he's coming back to this from chapter one. Are you not mere human beings? Um, and he's going to go on. and And this is interesting because he's got a little fan club there, right? I'm of Paul. If he was an egotistical, fleshly guy, he'd say they're the right ones, the Paul ones. But his point is, did Paul die for you and rise from the dead? Did Paul save you from your sins? Did Apollos? Did Peter? Look at verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, human beings, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Um. And he's going to go on and talk about planting and watering and make it a little analogy there. But for now, he's saying there's no comparison between any human being, whether it's Billy Graham, Peter, Paul. These guys were apostles, right? Not Billy Graham, but the others. There's no comparison between them and the Lord Jesus. Don't get your eyes off Jesus on any human teacher. No matter. He's your favorite. That's great. Learn from him on TV, radio, whatever it is. Keep your eyes on Christ, because, folks, human beings, mark it down, will always disappoint you in some way, because we're all human. Uh, Let's take our two-minute break and stretch our aging bodies. Say hello to someone you don't know during these two minutes, and we'll be right back. Those of you on Zoom, I'm just going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back. Don't go away. There we are. Welcome back to the Tuesday Night Bible Study Part 2. Let's see, we are in uh, chapter 3, early in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Those of you that are here, find your seats if you will. So we've got the natural man, unsaved, the spiritual man or human being, saved, living in the spiritual realm, walking in the spirit, and the third category, the immature, fleshly, carnal, worldly believer. That's what he's talking about. Here, and he's talking about them because they are the ones that are creating these divisions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and all of that. Verse 5, after all, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants. He wants them to know that they are servants who serve the king. Keep your eyes on the king. They're only servants. By the the way, if you go to church and you address your pastor as minister, do you know what the word minister means? It means a servant. Deacon is a servant. Um, All of us are to be servants of not only God, but of each other, right? Through whom you came to believe. That's where they got the gospel, first through Paul and then through Apollos. I love this last phrase. As the Lord has assigned to each his task like i said the sermon i'm giving sunday that's almost an encapsulation of it about each person each believer being assigned a task i don't want to give away the whole sermon because then none of you will you'll all be asleep but anyway that's what it's all about each person here every believer in the world has a spiritual gift every single one says so in romans says so in first corinthians the question is, what's your gift? What's my gift? And the more important question, or gifts, it can be plural, are you using it in a church for the kingdom of God? Well, I don't go to church. I just stay home. and then, Not biblical. Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Listen, together. Not on Zoom or YouTube. No, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Okay, sorry. My point is, we need each other. Christianity is supposed to be a community of believers, a family under one Father, one Lord. So there are different um, jobs or offices or gifts given to each one. Um, The Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, in the example of Paul, Apollos and Paul, in verse 6, he's going to say, I planted... Uh, NIV has the seed, that's implied in the Greek, it's not there, but that's what it means. In other words, he came there with the gospel and taught him about it, and then he had to leave eventually, Apollos watered it, okay? He expounded on the Bible, taught more about it, and answered their questions, and watered the seed that Paul had already planted of the gospel. And that's the way it is. You may witness to somebody and they move to Tennessee and you never see them again. And you think, oh, well, but somebody in Tennessee meets them and they become a Christian and you planted the seed and somebody else watered. Do you know that we are called to plant the seed, right? Share the gospel. We are not called to make sure they believe that's not your prerogative or mine. We can try as hard as we can. We can pray about it before. If God gives the increase, that's what he's about to say, there'll be growth. Let's go back to that verse. I planted, Apollos watered it, but God gives the increase. God makes it grow or has been making it grow. That's the important thing. You know why that's great? Because otherwise, Apollos could brag. Paul could brag, right? I could brag, you could brag, and I witnessed his own. So, and they're a Christian now. He's a pastor now. That's in my notch, and that's a notch in my Bible, or my belt. Is it, or did God give the increase? And he was so gracious to let me, who very clumsily has witnessed in my life, to some people, and they've believed, and it's not me or you, it's all God. The beauty of this is God gets the glory when somebody comes to faith in Christ, not you or me by the way we teach or say the gospel. We're just responsible to spread the seed accurately what the Bible says. Let God do the work. Pray about it afterwards. Pray about it before. Um, God makes it grow. By the way, this is obviously Uh, an agricultural metaphor, right? Farmers, or those of you that have little gardens at home, you understand about planting seeds. I believe planting seeds is a faith thing. Because you plant the seed there, and you cover it up with dirt, and there's nothing. And you water it, and you kind of feel like an idiot watering it as a third day, and what is nothing. And then eventually, there's a little something, right? That is not because you've got great soil, not even because you've been watering it properly and put it in the right place to get the sun. It's a miracle, right? Jesus uses a seed as the gospel, but he also talks about his own body as a seed. And until you bury it, it doesn't really sprout, right? He's got to die, is what he's saying in that analogy. Okay. Um, we already talked about that. Um Different jobs see different results. We can't all be Billy Graham preaching to a stadium, right? Can I get an amen on that one? Who would want to, right? What a scary thing. But God used him and others in mighty ways uh, doing that. Um, God creates the change from inside. That's why the seed is so... Because what did you plant? A little seed. What do you have now? Asparagus or corn or whatever it may be, right? Right. It's a changed thing. He made it grow. So it's the miracle of life, isn't it? And later in this chapter, he's going to talk about God's field in a bigger sense. But for now, let's keep rolling. Uh, hmm, So, verse 7, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Did you see that division of credit? It wasn't 60-40. Wasn't 80 for God, 10 for Apollos, 10 for Paul? What is it? 100% God, zero for everybody else. They're just doing what God's moving them to do. Nor the one who waters, but only God who makes things and people grow. Verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one Purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Now, that's an interesting verse, right? That there's a purpose, there's a reason they're doing it. I would argue they are doing it because the Holy Spirit's moving them. Get out there and tell people about the gospel. Matthew uh, 28 19 and 20, I think it is, is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, you know, all that. We're supposed to be spreading seed. Don't read that and think, yeah, that's for the pastor. That's for Steve. By the way, last say, last week, I said Cody instead of Steve. Uh, I, my apologies. That's a pastor I haven't seen for like five years. Anyway, six years. Um, um, so th- the point is, uh, we are called to do that. That is our job, to spread the gospel uh, any way that we can. And when God opens a door, we're supposed to walk through it. I don't know about you, but it always makes me a little nervous when I know I'm going to have lunch with so and so. He's not a believer. I'm hoping I can witness to him. You go through this? And I hope that he brings the subject up, which doesn't happen very much. Let's face it an unbeliever. What about Jesus and what he says in John 5? Yeah, right. That's going to happen. I mean, it might, but right? So. And you have to do it tactfully in some ways, but God, if you pray, open a door for that conversation, it's amazing how it comes around to that subject one way or the other. Um, some people want to water, and God called them to plant. Some people want to plant, and God says, I want you to disciple people, but let somebody else do the evangelism kind of thing. We all have our different gifts, but we are all called to spread the word. Um, Yeah. Verse 8, let's talk about rewards. Because this is a new subject in this uh, book. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. What's the purpose? Spread the gospel. Bring glory to God and Christ. One purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. Now, I want you in your mind to not think of the reward being They'll get saved. This is after they're saved. That's a whole separate thing. You won't go to heaven. Billy Graham is not in heaven because God said you led 9,461,804 people to Jesus. That's why you're here. He was already saved. Okay, you got the picture? So every believer that's truly saved is going to heaven. But the rewards and that's the same, but the rewards will all be different. According to what? How many verses of the Bible did you memorize? No. Were you a pastor or an evangelist? Or a, No. Did you teach a Bible? No. Well, then what is it? According to their works, their deeds, their labors. Okay? And there's going to be other discussions about this, Um but for now may i say the judge for those things is perfect to the point that he doesn't just see what you did or what she did in the kingdom of god in her church and in her community he sees even a motive because it might not be as pure as you think for some people um and so if the motive is just to glorify god and they for example gave money to a church it's a great thing the church was hurting so we decided to give 25000 we didn't do it for the glory of it or anything by the way did you mean, did you hear the number 25 grand not 100 okay this is a person that's doing it so that you'll go what a generous dude you are right? Better, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing when you're giving, right? Make it an anonymous donation. Who gets the glory? God. Well, who gave it? Nobody knows. We used to go to Yosemite Lakes Community Church. Somebody that, uh, husband and wife came to the Bible study, and the chairs there were so uncomfortable. This guy came into some money and bought chair all new chairs for the whole church and nobody knew i knew and one other person and nobody else knew who it was and no i'm not going to tell you what a cool thing did it for god's glory beware of the guy that's always bragging about i gave twenty-five i i'm the one that painted the church what do you think i'm the one that laid this carpet i didn't even charge for it makes me a little leery when people are doing that kind of thing um We're all supposed to be on one team working together, but there are rewards in heaven. Keep in mind, there are two judgments after Christ returns. You might be surprised to learn. If you were in the Revelation study, you remember this. The main judgment is in Revelation 20, where the unsaved are resurrected, and every single thing, books are opened, and every single thing they ever said, did, or thought Judged. Ouch. You don't want to be at that judgment, and you won't be. You won't be at that judgment as one being judged. But there is a judgment for believers, and the judgment for believers is like an awards ceremony. It's not judging sin, it's an awards ceremony to reward deeds, labors, things you did and said that we're for God's glory, and there's differing categories, um, if you will. Um, He's going to get to that, and yeah, we have plenty of time, so we'll get there. Uh, Hopefully, you're still awake. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Zoom. I don't see anyone sleeping. That's good. All right. Yeah, exactly. Their screens are turned off. Look at verse nine. We are co. I'm, I'm leaving the, the the rewards thing for now because we're going to come back to it in a second. Uh, verse nine: For we are co-workers in God's surface service. Sorry, you are God's field, God's building. Two analogies. You are God's field. That goes back to the planting the agricultural analogy, right? He planted, Apollos watered you're God's field. It's not Paul's field. That's this point. It's not Apollos' field, but he also calls it God's building. And we are all, Peter talks about this, stones in God's building, bricks. It's building up, but we're laid on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Any building that's not laid on that foundation is going to fall down. Uh, in the judgment day. I'm um, just looking at notes here. So we're all on the same team. We're all supposed to be working together. The whole division thing has to end. We have to come together uh, and work together for God. What's interesting to me is the way God does this. Because let's face it, imagine with me the same world we live in, sinful man needs salvation, couldn't God just do it all himself and not use Billy Graham and ministers and deacons and elders and you witnessing to your sister and you witnessing to the guy at work? And couldn't he? I think he could. Some would say he does anyway, but he condescends to use very imperfect people. He wants us to be involved in it. I think it's a a very cool thing. Um, He could have done it all alone, but he wants our participation I think it gives us the ultimate purpose in life, doesn't it, right? Because when you die or when you're on your deathbed, nobody ever on their deathbed says, I should have made more money. I should have taken on that extra job. I should have got that promotion. I should have invested more wisely. That's not what people say when they're dying. It's all about purpose, and the ultimate purpose is God's purpose. So he wants our participation. He uses imperfect people. we got to remember that when we're working with the other imperfect people, that they see you and I as imperfect, right? Some are more imperfect than others, right? So a new analogy is coming in the next verses. Verse 10. Um, By grace, God has given me, Paul, I laid uh, by the grace, sorry, God has given me. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. He's going to come back in the next verse to the reward thing. So, the most important word in verse 10 has not really been introduced except in the introduction of uh, 1 Corinthians, and that's the word grace. This is one of the deeper things of the gospel okay the the we as we've said again and again the gospel is jesus died on the cross for our sins he was god in human flesh he paid the penalty we deserve the got the punishment we deserve he gives us his righteousness we follow him as lord and as savior that's the gospel what isn't as clear in that cursory view of the gospel is this that it's completely undeserved that's what grace is completely undeserved, unearned, and it wasn't owed by the person that gave it. That's hard, listen, for human beings to grasp, because we want to deserve it. The reason Mormonism is popular, the reason Islam and Jehovah's Witnesses are popular, Islam is much bigger than Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses put together, is because in those religions, you earn it why do you think the jehovah's witnesses and the mormons are knocking on doors why do you think the five pillars of islam are so important because you better if you're a muslim you better do them and not kid around because you earn it christianity is different it's grace it's a free gift which is already a sort of a contradiction, because if it's a free gift, then I can sit back and do nothing. And you can, but then you're in category three, the carnal Christian. With birth comes growth. Part of that growth is the desire, I want to spread the word about this Jesus character. I can't believe the way he's changed my life, took away the desire for alcohol, took away the desire for drugs, took away all these things, and he continues to change me and you. But we have to remember, we're not working in the church. We're not painting the church or giving the 25,000 to earn salvation. We're doing it in response to, or gratitude for what God did for us. It's such an unbelievable gift. It's, it's the point at which you say, I owe you everything. That's Christianity. And that's why there's rewards based on what you do, but also the motive. We'll get into that in a second. I'm still reading notes here. Uh, yeah. It's an exalted thing to be a fellow worker with God, but the weird thing is, God doesn't choose exalted people. He just chooses ordinary people. It's an amazing thing, so that he will get the glory. Uh, grace. A couple quick things. Romans 12.3. Each person, listen, each believer is given a measure of, wait for it, faith. You didn't Muster up the faith yourself. He gave you a measure of faith. What you do with it is up to you. He gave you a muscle in your arm. If you lift weights every day, it'll get bigger. You'll get stronger. If you don't exercise the faith, it might atrophy. Romans 3, no one seeks God. No one. No, that's not true. I sought God. No, you didn't. He chose you sought you out. It's That's why it's all grace, because it's all his doing. Um, yeah, we, Faith is a gift, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Philippians 1, 29, he granted to us, listen to this, to believe. You know why you believe? He granted it to you. Like a king, I grant you a pardon. I grant you the ability to ride my horse. He granted you the ability to believe. Without that granting, you and I would still be the natural unsaved human being. Um, Okay. I think we're beating that dead horse enough. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We already talked about that. Verse 11. So he laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. That's the last part of verse 10. Let's talk about that. What does that mean? That means that Don Collins led this guy to Christ. I think that's great, but now he's handed him off to me to m- disciple him, mentor him, teach him even more. Okay? Don taught him the real gospel. I better be really careful. That's the foundation, Jesus Christ. That's Don gave him that. If I'm teaching him some weird doctrines, that building's going to fall down, right? He's going to be misled. Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Every other religion is based on a set of creeds, a set of do's and don'ts. Christianity has its do's and don'ts, but it is the only religion that is based on a person. Translation, you could take Muhammad out of Islam. You could take Buddha out of Buddhism. And you'd still have the religion. You take Jesus Christ out of Christianity, you got nothing. If He wasn't who He said He was, if He didn't really die on the cross and rise from the dead, all this do to others stuff—it's nice thoughts, and we ought to try. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to get your sins forgiven. If the guy didn't die on the cross and pay two thousand years ago, that's the only foundation we got to be building carefully. Now, with that in mind, rewards, verse twelve and following. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, remember the analogy, Don brought the guy to Christ, led him to Christ, totally a gift of grace that he was able to do that. God had prepared the guy's heart. He led him to Christ, and now we're going to be building, okay? And he's going to use some building materials. Some of them are really lousy. Some are pretty good. Some are really great. And the great ones have something in common. I'll just hint for you if anyone builds on this foundation what foundation foundation of the gospel using gold silver precious or costly stones hay wood sorry hay or straw their work will be shown for what it is because the day which is judgment day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test notice this the quality of each person's work. I'm going to build you a new house out of straw. Anybody really excited about that? Okay. Well, wood, hay, or stubble, right? Straw. Okay, wood. That's better. Much better out of wood, right? Okay. Believe it or not, in this analogy, three of these things are good and three are bad. The three that are good are gold, silver, and costly stones. Wood, in this analogy, although most of our houses are made out of wood, right, is bad. You say, hmm, really? Yes. Wood, hay, straw, those are the bad ones. Why? Two reasons. Number one, fire will destroy the hay, the stubble, the straw, and the wood, right? Right? Fire will not destroy precious stones, silver, gold. It purifies gold. That's reason one. Reason two, the wood, hay, and straw were not the main things mentioned in the building of the temple. It was precious stones, gold, silver. That's the point he's making. Okay, so what's the analogy then? Don led the guy to Christ, Jeff over here. I'm now discipling him, and I'm teaching him that, you know, Jesus was God, but, you know, we're, we're all gods. That's bad doctrine. That's wood, hay, stubble, right? It's going to get burned up in the judgment when God tests my works. Or um, I back to the analogy, I gave $25,000 to this church, and I told everybody. I put it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I have a poster on, on my front door. I gave 25 grand to the church. Well, that's a nice thing to do. Wood, hay, straw. Why? wasn't enough? No, no. It's not the amount. It's the motive. Do you see that? I was doing it for my own aggrandizement. I don't give a rip about this church or God or Jesus, and I did it to gain standing in the church. And there's churches where they would treat me different from now on, because he gave 25 grand, let him sit up front. James talks about that. Motive matters. Doctrine matters. What I'm teaching matters. Uh, those are examples of, of, of bad doctrine, wood, hay, or straw. Good, solid doctrine, gold, silver, precious stones. Um. Giving money to the church anonymously, nobody ever found out who gave the 25 grand. What a nice thing. Why? Because it was for God's glory. The person didn't want anybody to know. So building on the foundation is witnessing with right doctrine, gold, silver, costly stones, um, right motives, uh, and working for God's glory, not mine or anybody else's. Um, We will receive rewards in heaven the rewards are in the book of revelation spoken of as do you remember i think it's chapter four crowns right but what happens to the crowns anybody know the people that receive them take them off and cast them at the feet of jesus what a beautiful picture i i I could cry thinking about it because they realize i wouldn't have done any of these things if it wasn't for him changing me from the inside out. The old me would have never done any of these things I'm getting a reward for, to God be the glory. It's a beautiful picture. Okay, temple building materials, we talked about that. Mix in the wisdom of men with your preaching, wood, hay, stubble. 60% good sermon, 40% human wisdom and all that, that stuff gets burned up, and the 60% that's good is uh, rewarded uh, in that example. Um, fire tests the quality of work. We, My band had a, a show scheduled in Santa Rosa, California, the day of that huge fire. Remember that fire? And we obviously couldn't do the show. The place burned uh, to a great extent. They postponed it and rescheduled it for months later and we went up and did the gig and to get there you have to go on on a two-lane highway i don't remember the number i could not believe how some of the houses burnt to the ground burnt to the ground perfectly okay sometimes the wind just changes i talked to uh, chispa's brother-in-law about that at, at his house about a month ago why is that but what i couldn't get over was Burnt to the ground, burnt to the ground, perfectly okay, made out of stone. Burnt to the ground, burnt to the ground, but the guy's rock wall is perfect in the front. Not combustible. That's a metaphor for what we do for God that is truly for the right motive and the right thing that we were supposed to do. Um, yeah. Um yeah, we already talked about that. I'm not going to beat that dead horse. Okay, we're still moving on. Um, let's look at a couple of passages where there are judgments for believers. Um, let's go to to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So where, where you are in 1 Corinthians, it should be easy to find 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just turn over a handful of pages Verse 10, well, look at verse 9, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, that's the Lord, from the previous verse, whether we're at home in the the body or away from it. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not the judgment for sin, all your sin was judged on Jesus. No wonder it was so painful for him the way you and I have sinned, and all the world who believes. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. It's not sin, it's things done serving the Lord from the previous uh, goal to please him and all that, Um, and there are rewards given. May I say, even the rewards I don't think you can say i earned it i don't think so because the holy spirit inside you prompted you to do it you were freed from the guilt of sin and the yoke of sin because of jesus it's really all they're doing he's just condescending to bless us and let us be involved in the process of evangelism of building up the church and what have you um, what are the rewards specifically, Joe? Is it really crowns? I think that's symbolic. In l- elsewhere in the Bible, uh, Luke 12 talks about rewards being privileges that we have, that we might not have had. Um, Matthew 25 talks about praise that we, uh, are praised for good works. Luke 16 talks about positions where we are in heaven. Um, there are a lot of verses I could take you to, but it's not in my notes, where the Bible does teach degrees of reward in heaven, and believe it or not, degrees of punishment in hell. It'll be far worse for Capernaum, Jesus says, because they saw the, they heard the gospel, they saw the miracles, it would be better for them to be Sodom and Gomorrah, or uh, Tyre and Sidon, he says, than for them. Because they when you're exposed to more truth, you have more responsibility to believe it and act on it kind of thing. Um, you'll experience God more intimately, reflect his glory more, and what have you. We already talked about crowns. Um, if your motivation in Christian service is, I can't wait to get my reward. Or imagine this one. I can't wait to get my reward and it'll be better than his or hers. Boy, that is a bad attitude, right? That's, that's fleshly as can be. That's pulling somebody down a peg and yourself up a peg. All right, rewards. We already talked about the fire testing. Now we're going to get to a little bit of an even weirder vo- verse. If anyone builds verse 12 on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Fire will burn up the wood, the hay, and the stubble, and it'll just purify the gold even more. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Verse 14, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Okay? Okay. Verse 14. Don led this guy to Christ. Did it with pure motives. It survived. Me, I was teaching him false doctrine. Didn't survive. Me, I gave the 25 grand to the church, but I told everybody I got zero credit for that because of the motive. Now here it comes. Verse 15. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though as one escaping through the flames. It's a picture of somebody running out of a burning house where you barely make it out and you get a little singed, but you made it. There are people, according to this verse, that will make it to heaven barely. That's what he's saying. They will still be saved, but they'll suffer loss of reward. I may get up there and think I can't wait to see God's face when I tell him about the 25 grand. And I get there and I can't believe it, but he says, that was nothing to me because of why you did it, but come on in. And and here's here's a hose to water yourself so you don't burn anymore, you're a little singed. It's a picture of somebody with rewards being burned up, the builder suffering loss of reward, but he'll still be saved as one escaping through the flames. Okay, what follows is a new subject. We'll only introduce it and then we'll pick it up uh, next week. Uh, Yeah, fire, oh, last thing. Fire doesn't purify the worker. It only tests their work. Important difference. Okay, let's look at 16 and 17 and then we'll quit and get out of here. Don't you know, new subject that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Uh, who has new American standard here? Anybody? Uh, Judy, read the end of that verse. You are, you are God's temple. Take it from there. Uh, and that the spirit of God dwells in you. And the spirit of God dwells in you. And that's simpler than the NIV's uh, translation. You yourselves, human beings, are God's temple. Now you got to go back to the Old Testament to understand how unbelievable this is. What was God's temple? It was a place where people went to meet God, to worship God, to pray, to sacrifice to God. It was where the Jews considered, partly wrongfully so, I'll show you next week, that God lived there. Jesus dispels that whole idea and says, your temple is left to you desolate. You've made my house into a, member den of thieves and robbers. Because remember, they're selling stuff, exchanging money, and it's kind of a zoo there. Um, they turned it into something it was never meant to be. The astounding thing is that we human beings are, not all human beings, believers, the spiritual, are God's temple, and the spirit lives within us. That's proof. If that doesn't motivate you to live in a more holy, sinless life as much as you possibly can, nothing will. Because if you stop to think as you're sinning, God, my body is God's temple. It, it'll just be incongruous. You won't be able to do it. it it's it, it should stop you in your tracks. God's spirit dwells in you. you are God's temple. Now let's take that analogy. Does that mean people sacrifice to you? No, but your whole life, Romans two, or Romans 12, sorry, becomes a sacrifice. Living sacrifices, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 12. that's what we're supposed to be. Um, second thing, it's a place where people pray. I can pray anywhere. I don't have to go to. Jerusalem. I don't have to go to the synagogue. We ought to meet together in church. Don't get me wrong. You can pray on the top of a mountain. You can pray in a 7-Eleven store waiting for your Slurpee. You can pray in the doctor's office. Some of you do, right? God's spirit is with you wherever you go. We'll talk about this next week. We're out of time. Let's close with prayer, and then we'll uh, pick it up next week, God willing. Thank you, Father, for this time in your Word. What an astounding thing that you choose to use us, that you live inside of us by your Spirit, that you have uh, forgiven us and given us tasks to do and gifts to do it, God. May we do your work on this planet with your goals in mind, with your glory in mind, and not our own, Father. May we, Uh, receive rewards, which are really all yours anyway, Father. Thank you for this time in your word. We pray that these things would change the way we live our lives, and we give thanks to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you on Zoom, we'll see you next week. God bless you. Thanks for being here.